All right, well, we're going to study the book of Romans tonight. So we said that, but we're starting the book of Romans. We're going to go all the way through it. Uh, we don't know how long it'll take. It ought to be fun. We'll take rabbit trail, trails here and there. You know, you could take a whole year, really, and study the book of Romans. I mean, you could open up every door that it presents, and you could just get lost, maybe longer than a year, probably a couple years, you could study the book of Romans. I, I won't do that to us. Uh, it would be fun if we did it that way, but I'd like to just go ahead and get through it in the next uh, 16 weeks. No, it'll be faster than that, but we'll, we'll, we'll likely, uh, well, we'll just take it, take it as it comes, okay? We may skip a Wednesday and do something else, but we'll get through the book of Romans if you'll stick with us, all right? And uh, so we started our prelude to the book of Romans on Sunday and gave a little flyby uh, and hit a couple topics that we're not going to go in detail tonight, but we're going to start in the book of Romans chapter one, verse one, and we're just going to kind of hit most of the high points in here. We'll read some of it. Uh, we'll skip a couple and then we'll make sure we hit all the big, the big points or the revelatory points or the places where there might be some questions and we'll try to answer all the questions in there. So are you ready? Yes. All right. Praise the Lord. So uh, the book of Romans was written uh, while Paul, written by Paul from probably Corinth around 57 AD. And so uh, it was during his third missionary journey when he penned this to the church in Rome. Now, when he penned it, he had not yet been to Rome. He said, I want to come preach the gospel to those in Rome too, but I've heard about you and I want to write you this letter. So this tremendous foundational doctrinal book of the Bible was written to people that Paul had never seen before, but they knew of him and he had heard of them. And so it's kind of interesting. This book is uh, really a Western explanation uh, of Jew versus Gentile. Hebrews is more of a Jewish representation, explanation of Jew versus Gentile, particularly to the Jews. Uh, but this one is a Western one, so that the Roman people who, who weren't Jude, Judaized, uh, they only had a little influence of Judaism. Uh, this is so they could understand it. Just like we say that in the, in the Gospels, uh, one of the Gospels was written toward the Romans particularly, another Gospel written to the Hebrews particularly, uh, so this is just a way for God to make sure everybody in the whole wide world gets touched by the truth. So it relates more to the Romans. Anyway, so let's see this here. Uh, chapter one, verse one, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Paul's just uh, telling him, telling of himself, who is he? And before he lists his his uh, apostleship, which seems to be prominent, he lists his bondservanthood. Is that how we think? And most, most good Christians recognize I'm just a servant of God. I'm not real high. No matter who you are, you're not real high. You're just a slave of God. And that term is actually a, a Roman empire term uh, where it meant the property, the entire property of another. You and I are the entire property of God. Uh, it actually meant if you were, if you were called a bond servant, you were a slave of the emperor. And so that's who we, and it was a position of honor to be called. That was a position of honor in the Roman government. And so it's supposed to be an honor that we, ha, we are servants of God. Nobody wants to use the term slave. I don't uh, disagree. Uh, let's use the term servant, bond servant of God. Hallelujah. And, and that denotes a lot of things that he bought me. He gets to keep me. My life is not my own. I don't get to do what I want to because I'm not, you know, I belong to somebody else. So if you can drive that home into your heart and into your life, it'll change everything. <clears throat> Which he promised through his prophets the gospel, separated to the gospel, the good news, which God promised through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh. That's important 
uh, particularly from the Jewish side because there were so many prophecies that the Messiah would come from David's lineage. Well, Jesus Christ is proved to have come from the lineage of David. And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Notice that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of holiness. Uh, We sometimes dilute that just by calling him Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. He's the spirit of God, but he's the spirit of holiness. So when the spirit is present, there's holiness there. If you're filled with the spirit, you're filled with the spirit of holiness And so there's an aspect of the Christian life that must be holy to claim to be filled with him. If you're really filled with the Holy Spirit, it'll turn you holy. It'll clean you up. It'll it'll call you higher, call you deeper. It'll knock off the dust and the crust and the rust. It'll help you uh, uh, begin to acknowledge him more, yield to him more. So there's this whole aspect of holiness which is important for us. But I want to get to this word holy in just a second. Verse five, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Now that word, uh, the phrase to be is actually italicized. Is it italicized in your text? Is it italicized up here? It should be italicized in these things, so we're going to have to find a way to do that. Uh, And the reason is because the italicized phrases or words are not in the original text that the Bible was interpreted from or translated from. But the interpreters, translators uh, inserted those words to help define or to help provide understanding or to clarify or to enhance. And sometimes it's fine and usually it's fine. It's not a big deal. Uh, But sometimes it's helpful to take those words out and just read it without those added words. So if we're going to take those out, we're beloved of God called saints. Not to be. We were called to be. Now we are. So it's not something coming when we go to heaven. And this is where you take this word saint, and, and, and for a long time, the body of Christ had it wrong. We thought saints were somebody who did a bunch of good deeds, enough to be noted, and then once you die, they put a statue out and call you saint so-and-so. And I understand the Catholic Church has rules for being called a saint, called a saint. You have to have done so many things. You have to have done a miracle, I think at least one miracle or maybe two miracles, which I don't know how they ever get any of that, but so... <laughs> I think they broaden their term of a miracle. Uh, but that's not what a saint is, and you don't have to wait to be dead to be called one. So you and I need to recognize that you, that just like the people in Rome, called of God, beloved of God, called saints. So I want you to feel that you're, you're a saint. How many saints do we have in here? All right, you're a saint. You're not a sinner. If you have received Jesus, then you are not a sinner. Don't think of yourself as a sinner. Don't live your life as a sinner. Don't don't appropriate that word to you. Even if you blow it 10 times, don't think I'm such a sinner. Don't do that. The only way out of sinning is to think, you know what? I'm a saint. You were a sinner. Now you're saved by grace and you're a saint. The old term was just old sinners saved by grace. Uh, No, no, we were sinners. Now we're saved by grace. And now we're saint. We were sinners. Now I'm a saint saved by grace. You think you're such a saint. You got it. <laughs> now that word saint is, the, is a special word. Uh, to me, it's, a very, it's, 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 a, it's an amazingly special word because it's the same exact word used for Holy Spirit. It's the same exact word, holy. You're called holy. Saint is the same word holy in the Greek language. So you're actually called holy. So you get saved, you're holy now. You get born again, you are now holy, sanctified, separated for God's use in a special place, elevated by God, purified. Hallelujah. 
So that's a whole new uh, way to look at it. H-I-G-I-O-S is the Greek word, and it means a most holy thing, a most holy thing. Hallelujah. Now, notice this. He's writing this to the book of, uh, to the church at Rome. And, and, you know, one thing you have to recognize is Paul wrote uh, about two thirds of the New Testament and the other apostles wrote the rest. Uh, and then some people want to pit one against the other. Uh, who was, who was more used by God, Paul or Peter? Well, they were both used by God. It just so happens Paul was used to, to bring forth the revelation. For some reason, God chose him to, to give the, the whole explanation of salvation by faith alone to the church. Peter didn't do that. John didn't do that. But Peter agreed with Paul and the other apostles agreed with Paul, even though Paul wasn't one of the 12 apostles. Did you know he wasn't one of the 12 apostles? Um, and so Peter even mentioned uh, one time, he said, he, he mentioned Paul's writings. So they were both preaching to the church, writing to the church. And Paul uh, was acknowledged by Peter. He said this in 2 Peter 3, Paul said, uh, Peter said this in 2 Peter 3.15. He said, consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him as written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand. Peter's saying there's some things he wrote that are hard to understand. And I think that's where some people land in Rome. It's like, Rome is a hard book. No, it's not that hard. We can get it now. We can get it now. Hebrews, hard book. No, no, we can get that. Which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction. They were having these problems that we're having back then. So don't think it's something new. It's always been like this. The devil has a way of, of grabbing people and causing them to twist wonderful truth into something that's not quite true. That's how come we've got all sorts of false religions and, and, and wacky denominations and wrong teaching and, and just fallacy out there. It says people twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus, uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory now and forever. So, so Peter's acknowledging, hey, listen, uh, Paul's written some of these things, and it's to warn you and to prepare you uh, because there's some twisted stuff out there so that you can learn ahead of time to not fall for that destruction. And if you take it to Rome, uh, Paul wrote these truths to Rome. Well, Rome was where uh, the Pope turned everything upside down back in the Dark Ages. He brought the church into the Dark Ages by commanding people to be killed if they didn't turn Catholic. So there was some weird Dark Ages, Middle Ages stuff that the, the Catholics got into uh, by twisting scripture, taking the truth away from people, putting all the emphasis on the the Pope and the Cardinals and all of the structure they created, commanding loyalty, turning themselves into emperors, basically very strange. And it, it happened. So you can do your own study on all that garbage. Uh, what I'm here to do is, is warn you away from taking little liberty and deviation from scripture and from something that is solid. Don't let a wacky thought from somebody outside cause you to say, oh, oh, we must be doing it all wrong. Listen, you don't, don't do it that way. Don't do it that way. First of all, in here, as you're planted and growing, you can sense what's right. You can sense that things are wonderful. You can sense 99 out of 100 things are just so wonderful. Don't let one question mark on one thing out of 100 cause you to say, well, that's it. No, I've seen that happen so many times with Christians where they throw away all the good because of one question mark that really they're wrong in or possibly wrong in. Uh, there's no need to do that. You don't want to reject all the wonderful things that you know are right. Okay? So just beware that it, you're going to see it more and more. There's so much out there. Um, 
You know, used to it would take you about five to ten years to hear all the dumb doctrine. Now you can hear it in one week. <laughs> Just get online. You can hear it all in one week. Go watch 50 different hours of teaching in one week, and you hear all sorts of crazy stuff. It's not all crazy, but you'll run into some stuff. So we try to pr- provide a safe place. All, all, all sincere teachers and preachers and pastors try to provide a safe place so that you can learn the truth and be housed by God and taken care of by God and succeed. Uh, anytime you receive corruption into the tree, your fruit's not going to bear properly. So, And a lot of it's not just actual sentences that you understand perfectly, it's attitude. A lot of what you get from teaching and preaching is, a, is an impartation and an attitude about God or an outlook or a perspective, yours needs to be healthy. Uh, a lot of times, and, and we've seen this for, for ages, that sometimes Christians, what they're receiving from whatever teaching, preaching, or ministry, it, it causes them to have an angry attitude, a mad attitude, unhealthy, not very loving, not very kind. Uh, I mean, you know, you can only hear harsh, angry preaching so long Till it gets into you. Hopefully we're going to turn the page in a minute. It'll get all exciting in here. Yes, praise the Lord. But you got to take the, the good, you know, blessing part and empowerment part with the warning part uh, if you're going to be healthy. So, all right, let's move down here to verse Seven again, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Grace to you and peace is is a phrase you'll see Paul and the other apostles use a lot, grace and peace to you. When we think of greeting you or acknowledging you or writing to you, I've always felt that, what am I going to say to them? Uh, Grace and peace sounds pretty good. I just typed a preacher this week, grace and power to you. You'll see that. Grace, power, and love to you. Grace and peace. May the peace of God uh, carry you. May may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be upon you. Those are spiritual words, but there's something in there. I mean, it's really one of the best things you can say to somebody. And so somehow you got to put that into your heart and your life and recognize the value of it. It's not just a religious phrase. It's something spiritual that... You're declaring to them that's better than, you know, what's up? (laughs) Sincerely. If it's a business uh, email or something, I'll say sincerely. But if it's anything to do with Christians, I'll say sincerely in Christ or love in Christ. That's important to me that I I acknowledge that, hey, this is a brother-sister conversation here. And if it's not, then I'll take out the religious part. And I'll usually take out pastor. I don't need outside people calling me pastor or doctor or friar. No, nobody called me friar in here. I was just, it's an inside thing. So anyway, Uh, accolades and letters before your name mean nothing. They mean nothing. Now in the church, Acknowledging offices and such, it matters a little bit more, uh, at least that people recognize who's who. That's all. But for, for any kind of personal notification, no. I'd, I'd prefer the banker not to call me pastor, unless I'm his pastor. Because I'm not your pastor. If you're going to call me pastor, I get to tell you something. If you're going to call me pastor, I'm going to read you some scripture. You ready? Uh, verse 8. Oh, oh, I want to see this here. Grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's one of these terms. You'll see this in almost all of his epistles uh, that he calls God. This is the term, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Many times it's God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he denotes God, he adds Father in there. And this is one of the things I've, I've dealt with in the past, helping us understand the cross allowed God to come closer to his family than ever before. 
And so people want to argue about what to call God. Is his name God? Is it Jehovah? Is it Elohim? Is it El Shaddai? Is it Jehovah covenant name? Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Sidkenu, Jehovah Mekiddish, uh, Jehovah Roy, all those Jehovah covenant names. We learned them and it's like, wow, that's kind of special. That helps me understand God, that he's a covenant God. Yes, that's true. But Jesus never called him any of those names. Jesus didn't even call him Adonai or Elohim. Or he didn't call him any Jewish name or any Hebrew name. Jesus called him Father. That's new. That was brand new. He, he introduced this brand new term for God the Creator that turned it totally special. For God to be your Father is way more intimate and endearing and powerful than all the powerful names of his name. So when people take a Bible and start changing his name to Jehovah and claiming that they calling him the right name. You're not calling him the right name. You can just walk off. I guarantee you won't win an argument when people have gotten their flesh involved and strengthened it to the point of my Bible's right because we have a name in there. We took out all the J's and it solved all the problem and we're calling him the right name. Uh, as soon as you get in, because they've strengthened themselves up so highly, they will not listen. So just walk off, just walk off and just leave a trail of, of seed. Hey, if you ever want to get free from your stupidity, it hurts people. It's, that's one of the deceptions. That's one of the ways the devil deceives people. He he creates a false thing and gets people to rally behind it as if it's more true than what you've got. And then he can create whole denominations of people who think they're right because of one little thing, whether it's the, you know, we don't use, there's no J in the Hebrew language. You ever heard that before? Okay, that's true. So you can't call him Jesus. That's not true. You know, in the Greek, his first letter is an I. Every language has their own alphabet. It's okay. He, he, Jesus doesn't care. You used a J. I'm not answering your prayer. You're supposed to say Yeshua, not Jesus. That's not how it works. You know, in, in Mexico, my name is translated Carlos. Charles, Carlos. I, I don't have to argue about it. You know, they call me what they want to, as long as they're calling me. So what the devil will do is get people rallied around some false thing like that, create a false denomination where people are then uh, worshiping this new thing that they know. Right. Same thing with Mormons. Uh, the Mormons, man, they believe the Bible. They believe 99% of what you believe. If you talk to them, talk about Jesus, they believe he's the son of God. They believe he rose from the dead. Now, they also have some other weird twisted stuff. But then they come with the Book of Mormon. But the Book of Mormon... And they want to elevate this to the place of, uh, you're missing something. Well, that's pride. They're inflated with pride thinking that you have to use the Book of Mormon. Anyway, I don't want to get into all that. But this is one of the deceptions. And so you have to recognize God the Father, being able to call God Father, supersedes all of the other words. Because if he's your father, he'll be close. That covers one of the Jehovah names. He'll be your banner. He'll be your, your biggest coach, your biggest supporter, your biggest fan. He'll be your biggest flag waving. A father's always the biggest flag waving. Isn't that right? He'll be your healer. A father always takes care. He'll be your provider. A father always provides. So father uh, encapsulates everything, e even your strength. Uh, my father will beat your father. So everything that God was in the, in the Old Testament to the Jews, your heavenly father is to you individually as father. Verse nine. Oh, wait, verse eight. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Remember, when we, our whole relationship is through Jesus Christ. That your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. That's interesting that the, this Roman Christians, these new believers in Rome, their faith was known around the world. I'm not sure why exactly, didn't, didn't detail why. What have they done? 
What did they do? Did they get persecuted? Did they stand up for Christ and get killed? Did they do miracles? Did they spread the gospel faster than everybody else? Uh, were they great, generous givers? What did they do? Did they build churches? Did they, what happened over there? I don't know. But their faith went out and everybody knew about it. That's how I want to feel about us. Our faith here at Houston Faith Church ought to be known. Not for any kind of accolade, but just because we're doing something right. I've never felt ever that I'm here to uh, make myself known. I don't, want my, I don't want my own faith known. I'm not do, I never do anything to make my own faith known. I always you know, try to hide anything I've done. I don't want to make my own faith, but I want your faith to be known. I want you to have a life with God that's so successful that it alerts sinners. Really, that, that's what we do here. All real preachers and teachers, we want to make sure your faith is heard around the world. We want you to be living a life with God that's so successful and so bright that it, that it gives God glory everywhere. The whole city would know because of you. Not because of popularity, but because of you. Because something happened when you got close. God is there. I've heard about you. I've heard about y'all. There's something, there's got to be something special. I think that's what he's talking about here. Verse nine, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I make mention of you in my prayers. Um, Paul praying for saints he had never seen before. That's special. That's truly a sign of an apostle praying for people you've never met. But he heard, because this is a big deal, you know, back when the gospel was just getting started, those first, you know, 50 years, it's like, oh, another city received? Uh, another group somewhere received? You know, now it's like, oh, yeah, there's Christians everywhere. But back then it was a big deal. So you heard about it, it's like, I'm praying for them. Lord, I don't know them, but I'm praying for them. I'm going to help them. He says, God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel. Uh, really, serving with your spirit is how you're supposed to serve God, okay? So this is where you, um, without your spirit, all of your outward action is basically worthless, okay? Without your spirit, driving whatever you do for God, all of your flesh effort is worthless. Your spirit's supposed to motivate your legs, your spirit's supposed to motivate your mind. Uh, you don't do anything on the outside that didn't begin on the inside. We serve God with our spirit because he's a spirit. And those that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. God is a spirit. We're a spirit. So to connect with God, I have to do it in the spirit. You, you, can't, you, can't actually, you cannot actually connect with God in the flesh. So you don't need to try to feel him. You see somebody else that's, you know, feel, looks like they're touching God. And you're like, don't try to touch him in the flesh. Uh, just open your heart real big and, and love him as hard as you can from your spirit. Believe him as hard as you can from your spirit. Obey him as hard as you can from your spirit. Yearn for him as hard as you can with your spirit. And uh, so you, you do have to get kind of familiar with spirit versus soul. Definitely spirit versus flesh, but uh, we're three parts. We're spirit, soul, and body. So you have to understand the difference between the spirit and the soul. It's not easy. On a daily basis, it's not easy to distinguish the soul from the spirit. So that it requires you praying in the spirit, getting sensitive to the Holy Spirit who's connected to your spirit. And then find out where your soul fits in the matter. Because sometimes our soul comes up with something and we think it came from our spirit man. And it wasn't. It was just our soul, which is not a bad thing all the time, but it does need to submit to the spirit. So it's the spirit that knows what things know the, who knows the mind of a man except the spirit of a man. The spirit knows. He's the part of you that knows knows the voice of God, knows what's right from wrong, that your spirit knows. It's not your mind. It's not your soul. Your soul feels. That's one way to distinguish. Your soul is the feeler part of the inside of you. Your spirit is the knowing part of the inside of you. 
So this is where you have to recognize your desires come from your soul. You'll see scriptures in the Bible, my soul yearns, my soul longs for, my soul desires. Uh, that's the feeling part of yourself. It's your spirit that knows if that desire is right or not. And so your soul has to bow to your spirit. And the only way it can is if your spirit man is healthy, number one. So you got to feed on the word of God and then your mind is renewed and, and, and thinks right. So that's why you need a whole, your first couple years in the Lord, you need a whole bunch of teaching so your mind can get filtered and fixed in the way that you think so that you're thinking right. Then the Holy Spirit can lead you right. Until your brain is fixed, until you know how to think right, until you're seeing reality, truth from God's word, and until you're able to look at the world and look at God's word and understand where the conflict is in everything, then you're going to have to get really confident in following your spirit. Your conscience is the voice of your spirit. Your spirit lives with the Holy Spirit. You serve God with your spirit, so therefore you can listen to the voice of your conscience. So you knew you, knew you shouldn't have. How many times have you thought that? Man, I knew I shouldn't have. That, that's the spirit in you. It, it tried to be a voice to your brain to stop you, but your brain was, was just set, just dead set. I've got to, do, I've, I've got to, and whatever reason, whatever reasoning, whatever feelings you had, whatever emotions you had, I, that's what I want. I just, I know it's from God. It's what I want. Your spirit is in there. He knows because he's with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit knows everything. And so distinguishing the two is a lifelong exercise. You understand? And so just be careful about being led by your soul and not by your spirit. Same thing with serving God. Serve with your spirit. Don't just do things grudgingly on the outside. I mean, don't just do things on the outside if your spirit man is grudging. Really, your soul is grudging. And so you need to make sure that you serve God faithfully and happily. Your spirit man knows you ought to be in church doing some good stuff. Just do it and enjoy it. Serve God with your spirit. Never fall into the trap that the more physical fervor I put out, the more I'm worshiping. No, no. Your sweat and your physical action does not prove you're worshiping. That means your brain shouldn't think, okay, what should I do to worship God? I think you just missed it. How can I be seen worshiping God? Uh, people used to say, you know, the world just needs to see us worship. Let's go out and worship and let the world see us. Uh, show me scripture. And no scripture that says we ought to go show the world God by worshiping. Because if so, then it needs to tell you how to do it. The only thing it does say is that you ought to be able to lift your hands without wrath and doubting. That you can be out there lifting your hands all the time. I, I, in my neighborhood, I'll walk and pray sometimes. And, and I'll get into with God, glory to God. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to doubt about it. I'm just going to worship God, lift my hands up. They can watch me if they want to. One time I was out praying one night and I was talking with God and I was, I was talking like this and I was walking down the sidewalk talking. It was kind of dusky and so people could see. And this couple was walking on the other side of the street and they said, sir, sir, is everything okay? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah. I started laughing. I'm just, I'm just praying. I'm just praying. I'm like, okay, okay. I guess they thought they were going to have to call 911. I got a crazy man in the neighborhood. But in no way would I think I'm in no way would I think I'm going to lift my hands in case somebody's watching me. Okay, I've just I've just messed it up. I've just done something that wasn't with my spirit, it was with my soul and it wasn't right, wasn't holy. So just be careful how you do it. Let your spirit man guide you and help you. All right, where are we at? Verse verse 10 making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. Uh, spiritual gifts help you be established. 
I don't want to get too far into it, but a spiritual gift would be, um, really the word gift is charisma. Spiritual would be things pertaining to and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so a sp- things pertaining to the Spirit that, that give you grace, charisma being great, gift being grace. And so he wanted to impart to them some sort of grace, supernatural grace for their life. We all need that. Now, you can impart that to people through laying on of hands. You can impart it to people through ministry, teaching and preaching, uh, just providing an atmosphere Uh, Being an example can give you an impartation. That's one way that we receive impartation is just hang around somebody and and it'll rub off on us. Make sense? Uh, So he wanted to impart some spiritual gift. And what I would say that means uh, to to some degree is that once you see God give you a grace, supernatural ability of some sort, or use you in some capacity, it could be a gift of the Holy Spirit in church. It could be a life grace where you recognize, you know what? I have this, I have this supernatural ability to give mercy to people. That's one of the life graces. I have this supernatural ability to be generous, so generous. I, I have this supernatural ability that seems like it came from God to lead people. Wow. Once, once you see that, then throughout your life, um, it will establish you. What did it say? That you may be established. It will keep you grounded. Like, you know, I don't even know if God's real, but wait a second. I got this supernatural thing that's happened to me. He's got to be real. All of a sudden it's like, should I quit doing what I've been doing? Well, wait a second. I can't do that because he gave me this grace. And so that's one way that you're established is that the way that God uses you, the abilities he's given you, help you stay grounded and connected to him, that you wouldn't deviate because this, this is from God. Now, it takes a spiritual person to, to keep that real in their life. But anyway, Paul's saying, hey, I want to get to you. I think I can help you. This is one reason why I still, and Pastor Joni as well, this is why we travel around the world and preach the gospel. My thought is, you know what? I, I got to get to as many as he wants me to. I think I can help every congregation a little bit. I can impart something to them every time I go. So do I want to go? Well, uh, only because of that. Do I really want to leave? Do I want to spend the money? Do I want to take off? Do I want to be away from here? Uh, Well, you know, I I do feel like I owe it to them. If God needs me, I'm willing to go so that I can help people because I know I can help some people. So I'm going to go help. I'm going to go impart, give some grace to them and, and, and do my part. Uh, Verse 14, uh, along the same line, Paul says, I'm a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. He's saying, I owe you. I'm I'm indebted to the whole world, whether you're Greek or whether just all sorts of people, whether you're a barbarian, what does that mean? You got an ax in your hand, right? Barbarian would just be somebody I can't understand. All classes of people, preachers are, they're really entrusted to, debtors to. You don't get to pick and choose who you get called to. People, I mean, there may be some time that that somebody's particularly chosen to go somewhere, but really you need to be careful with that. People have said, well, you know, I was sick and I got healed by God, so I'm going to go to the hospital. That's going to be my ministry place because I can relate. Well, Jesus healed a bunch of sick people without ever being sick. So let's be careful of that. I was in prison, so I think God's calling me to prison ministry. I got saved in prison. I understand prison people. And so I'm going to go back to the prison. I think God's calling me there. Uh, be careful of that. He, he, he might. He might. But be careful of that. Because Jesus delivered all sorts of people. And he never went to prison. Paul preached to a lot of married people. He wasn't married. So be careful about saying, I have a niche because that's where I came from. I can relate. Yeah, that's good that you can relate to them. And maybe God gives you a chance to minister to them. But this gospel is so powerful that he doesn't need you to have gone through all the experiences in order to minister to people. 
So don't, don't exclude yourself and don't try to overly include yourself in some niche. And, and by and large, I've seen this too many times to count. Christians get saved, spirit-filled, educated in the Lord, developed, mature. And their thought is, you know, I've always wanted to go back to my hometown and preach the gospel. I've always wanted to go back to, to I've always felt like, well, the reason is because you're endeared to your upbringing. But I've never seen that work for anybody. Good work. I'm sure there's exceptions. You know, somebody from another country comes over here, gets saved. They got to go back and be, become an evangelist there. I've never seen it. It might have worked. I've never seen it. Maybe 10, 20 times, 10, 20 examples I might have. They all failed. And they either came back or they ended up going there and drying up and doing nothing. So don't assume that just because I have a people that I understand that I'm called back there. We all want to do something for God. Do it where you planted. Do it from the place you're planted. Don't always think I've got to uproot and go somewhere. All right, praise the Lord. How are we doing on time? We're going to finish chapter one. And y'all are something. Skip to verse 16 here. Oh, we're right there. Verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Notice this term, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We have plenty of scriptures about that. Uh, Jesus said that if you were ashamed of him, then your heavenly father would be ashamed of you. Um, those are some serious words, aren't they? Mark uh, Mark 8, 38, he said, whoever's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. He's talking about way back then. <laughs> you, you think you're so unique. We all think that our generation is so unique. They've, every generation has been thinking this. Every generation has always thought, what's this world coming to? Of him, the son of man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. So you have to decide to be a real Christian or not. Everyone in the room must decide. And I would say decide tonight, decide before Sunday, real Christian or not. Okay. We'll give you six weeks to make your decision. You're going to be a real Christian. or not? I'll give you three months. Took me three months to decide. I'll give you three months. Okay. Maybe you're slow. I'll give you six months to decide if you're going to be a real Christian or a fake one. Keep coming to church for uh, six months, six months. Give, give me six months. Give us six months here. Give the Lord six months. Give the word six months to see if you can be a real Christian or if you're going to stay a fake one. What I've noticed here is that people, visitors will come for a couple of weeks and, and they start hearing some challenge like that. And they're like, But you have to decide if you're going to be a real Christian, stand up for the Lord, and take it like a Christian. That means you're going to have to say no to all your worldly stuff. You're going to have to disconnect from some friends. If you're not ashamed of the gospel, you have to stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ in the middle of all this stuff that you're familiar with. You don't have to be belligerent and, and, and verbal in the beginning, uh, but you will have to make some decisions for your life and stick with them. You'll have to not be ashamed of the gospel. You'll have to be willing to share the gospel with others. You'll have to pass out gospel tracts. I know that if you don't pass out gospel tracts, you probably also don't talk to people about Jesus. Because that's way easier than talking. So that's why I'm always encouraging you to do something so uh, foolish. Have you, how many of you have felt foolish passing out a piece of paper with the gospel on it? Yeah, the honest people, a few honest people. It feels foolish. I'm, inter I'm interfering in people's lives. You know, these people are probably highly educated. They don't want to take a leaflet on the street. It feels a little bit foolish, uh, but the gospel is foolish 
talking to them about their eternal destination. It sounds foolish. You're going to have to do it anyway. And so we always try to encourage people to, to practice, find a way to break the ice for yourself so that you can get free and unashamed. You should never have to be ashamed of Jesus Christ and this gospel for the next person. This gospel includes, hey, you need Jesus too, or you won't make it. They say the gospel's for weak people. Christianity's for weak people. You got that right. You weak too. I'm filled with God now. I'm stronger than you. So that's reality. Therefore, you should never be ashamed to talk to a sinner. I remember one time I was on the airplane and I, I, was, I was in first class. That's when I was still working in the business world. And uh, I was in first class and the plane landed and everybody's getting up to do their stuff. You know, the first class gets to leave first. But this time I, I said, you know what, I'm going to stay here. I got a pack of tracks. I had like 50 tracks in my pocket and, uh, or in my briefcase. And uh, as I just stood there and, and as everybody walked out of the plane, I, I greeted them like I was working for the airline. God, God, thanks for flying. God bless you. God, God bless you. And I would give them all the tracking. And if their hands were full, I would, God bless you. And they're like, I'm like, just shove it in their bag and shove it in their bag. God bless you. Thanks for flying. Thanks for flying. Thanks for flying. After 50 people, you're, you're not ashamed anymore. After 50 people, I've just touched with the gospel. Who cares if I get in trouble by the airline? I've done that on the ferry boat down here at Bolivar. Y'all ever cross the ferry boat? That those ferries will hold 70 cars. How do I know? I counted them. I've counted them many times. I've counted them so I knew how many tracks to take with me, and I've counted them to know what number I'm gonna be in line so that I can get in the right lane. So anyway, I got a whole system. But, but I've walked down the ferry while the ferry's driving across the 15-minute trip and just hand it to every car. All their cars got their windows down, just handing it to every, every car, just walking by. Just, just a little simple way to do something valuable with your time. Uh, now, most of the time, it feels like I don't want to do that. But do it once. Do it once, see how it feels. Do stuff like that occasionally to keep yourself free. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Are you? Come on, I'm trying to help you not be ashamed of the gospel. I mean, so many Christians out there have never, ever, ever done anything to help another person get saved. It's like, are you even saved? If you're really saved, if you understand it at all, and you've never helped another person know one thing about Jesus, I feel so sorry for you. So I feel obligated in here to never let you forget it. Praise the Lord. Okay. Uh, for it is the power of God to salvation. And so you understand that the, the, the word of God preached is powerful. It can save a soul. Matter of fact, it can save a soul without any, uh, hardly any uh, people receive. Uh, you'd have to receive it without anything extra. The word of God can change your life. You've been radically changed sitting there, right? How many times have you been in church just radically changed? Acts chapter 10, Peter's preaching the gospel to the first Gentile family, Cornelius family. And it says, and as Peter preached, they began to speak with other tongues. Like in the middle of his message, they just started speaking in tongues. They'd never heard the gospel before. They didn't have to go through any formal ceremony. They didn't have to come pray a sinner's prayer, no altar ministry. They just all started speaking in tongues. The word can save a soul like that. Now, now, in their heart, obviously, they had to follow. The principle occurred. They heard, they believed and in their heart. They must have been so hungry and open to God. They called on him from their heart and were saved and filled with the Holy Spirit all in one swoop. And that's when Peter said, wow, it looks like they received the Holy Ghost too. And somebody says, should we baptize them in water? He said, I guess. Everybody else gets baptized, let's baptize them. But baptism in water is not the prerequisite for the Holy Spirit or salvation. 
And so you start seeing how all this kind of works, that the word of God is so powerful, it can save you sitting there. And it can heal you sitting there. How many times has somebody been healed just sitting there? And you didn't even know it, maybe, that you got healed. Now, we've heard many people that got healed sitting there and knew it. But then some people know it afterward. The word of God can heal you. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. And so it can happen as simple as that if you'll just be real open. Be real open and, and expect that the total health, healing, salvation, and deliverance is yours. Uh, you can just get it all. You can actually get happy sitting in church. Amen. Doing nothing, just sitting there. And that's where this word, it is the power of God unto salvation. And the word is soteria. It's the Greek word that refers to total health and healing. Healing of the body, healing of the mind, healing of the spirit. Total salvation is, is in that word salvation. It's not just ticket to heaven. It's my spirit is saved, my soul is delivered, and my body is well. It all goes together. It's the same word used many times when it says, and, and he was made whole. And they were healed. And the person was healed by faith. That word healed is the same word soteria or sozo. To be saved is to be healed, is to be delivered according to the word in the Greek. And so the gospel is the power of God for all of it. So if you need something from God, go to his word, go to the gospel. It is the power of God. Praise the Lord. Somebody asked Smith Wigglesworth one time, they said, uh, do you have any tracks on uh, healing? And he said, what's wrong with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Uh, verse 17, for in it, in this gospel, is the righteous, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it's written, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. We talked about this Sunday, about the righteousness of God. We'll get more into that into the book of Romans a little bit later. Uh, but notice this just shall live by faith. That's a big part of what we teach here helping people get the foundation of faith in their heart. It's one of the foundation principles of the doctrine of Christ. Faith toward God is one of the six foundation principles of this life with God. And it just so happens we need a lot of help with our foundation. From Hebrew, from Hebrew 6, repentance from dead works is one of the principles. Faith toward God, the doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. Those are the foundation doctrines of, of who we are in Christ. And so we need solidness in there. Just happens that faith, just so happens that faith is a big one. Because if you're going to live by faith, you're going to have to learn faith. Faith is not just a general term we use to raise our flag. Faith is this element of believing God, an element of walking with God based on our belief. Faith is our total belief system that we live our life by. Whatever, take domestic life, the things you do at home, that's your belief system, right? You believe in that got to be there and this got to be there and that color and this color and the sheets and the dishes and the cat and the dog and this is where we put this. That's your belief system at home. Well, you're supposed to have a faith system, a faith belief system that governs everything in your life, how you act, how you treat people. Well, you need that in your house too. So, but to live by faith means you have a shield. You have to have the shield of faith if you're going to live by faith because you're going to have to protect your thought life. So a Christian who has an ungoverned thought life is not living by faith. You don't get to just think anything. You don't get to just take any thought from the world or the devil or yourself or somebody else. You don't get to allow deception to just, you know, camp on top of you. Uh, you can't just decide what your opinions are. You have to govern your thought life with the word. And you got to protect yourself from the devil because he's coming at you with all sorts of lies. You hear a great message at church. You, you learn something from God's word, reading your Bible. Uh, well, the next day, the, the, the devil's there telling you how that's not going to work for you because you have to shut him up. He tempted Jesus with, with thoughts and words. He's going to tempt you with thoughts and words. And if you don't know the truth, you won't have anything to quote back. And so you're susceptible to the devil. So that's one of the biggest ways that you live by faith. You've got to know the truth so you're protected from what's not. 
It's how you stop the devil. Faith is how you stop the devil from sifting you like wheat. Remember the scripture says the word is sown and some is on good ground, some is on thorny ground, some is on uh, not much, much depth of earth ground. And the next day Satan comes immediately and steals the word. You can't let him steal the word. You, you got to get serious about this. Start living by faith. So, so these things take root and stay with you. Faith will help you sleep during the storm. Faith will stop you from being anxious. You have faith toward God. You'll quit being anxious. You'll be able to sleep at night. If you're having trouble sleeping at night, you don't, you don't have enough faith or you're not using your faith or you're weak in faith or you've not decided to live by faith. Listen, when you started, now you've heard the truth that faith people can sleep uh, as long as they want to at night. You've heard it. It's true. You don't have to have any anxiety. The, one of the proofs is that Jesus was asleep on a pillow in a storm. And when you hear somebody that can sleep through anything and you can't sleep, it makes you mad. But for a believer, it's supposed to make you glad. You're supposed to say, aha, that's one of the benefits of walking with Jesus. Yes, it is. So pull your pants up and go to bed. I mean, whatever. Decide to live by faith. The just, the righteous people live by faith. You hear that there's answers and promises and blessings and that everything can be made whole in your life? Say yes to it. Say yes to it, then go get that. And then step up with the others and say, you know what, I'm gonna get this. I'm, I'm gonna devote my life to this. I'm gonna live for God this way. But just live by faith. You can do that and change the way you act toward people. You can start walking in love. You know what, Christian is supposed to actually be nice. Faith will give you new allegiances in the earth. Amen. So many people are proud of so many different things, uh, but you need to be sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus actually said, they said, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside the house. You know, it's crowded. He said, who, who are my mothers and my brothers? He didn't give special treatment to his natural family because he was a faith person. He said, who are my mothers and my brothers, but he that is that does the will of God. So there's something about family, church family, something about those who walk with God family that supersedes other allegiances. Sounds real good in church. Is it going to sound good at home? Don't know if you live by faith, you're going to have to devote some attention to the family of God. The body of Christ is part of the faith life. Faith is trusting in advance what will only make sense in reverse. Faith is not belief without proof, but trust without reservation. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Everybody living by faith? Yes. Okay, we, we, I think we have like a, a 20, 20 something hours of faith teaching that we did, what, last year or this year? It's all out there. If you want to learn how to, how to live by faith, you need to learn how to live by faith. Start practicing. Start applying it to yourself. Now you can do, the only way to live by faith is to, to get the word in you, believe the word, and be filled with the Holy Spirit and be led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will use the word to give you victory in life. The Holy Spirit will use the word to chop the devil's head off. This word is called the sword of the Spirit. So your spirit with the Holy Spirit can use the word to get yourself delivered set free, healed, and to open heaven's windows. All right, so you gotta live by faith. And then verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against, stop there. We'll do that next week. We'll do that next week. Uh, for the next, uh, all the way to chapter two, chapter three, we're gonna talk about the wrath of God and the context that he's talking about it uh, is toward really unsaved people. Even though he's writing this to the Romans, it's, it's concerning the thought process that existed in that day between Jews and Gentiles and how ungodliness was being handled. And then chapter three is gonna get us into 
Here's the solution. The solution for it all was Jesus Christ. Righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ alone. So we'll start that next week. Everybody happy? Yes. All right, praise the Lord. See, we can get through Romans. We can understand Romans. You need to understand Romans. Uh, it's a foundational book of the Bible. It's a long book. Some people pick their favorites by how short they are. Like, how many of you love 1 John? You love 1 John. It's just full of love and everything. Thank you for joining Pastors Chaz and Joni today from Houston Faith Church. If you're looking for a good home church in Houston, Texas, we'd like to invite you to be our guest anytime. What you'll find is that Houston Faith Church is highly committed to the Word of God, the love of God, and the Spirit-filled life and ministry that Jesus expects. We know that everyone wants to make a difference in this life and that the Great Commission of the Lord Jesus Christ is the main thing for all of us. You'll find your purpose here and grow strong in faith at Houston Faith Church. Find more faith-building resources on our YouTube channel or subscribe to our free audio podcast. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. See you soon.